This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Live and Learn on the Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su An. Two refugee rights organisations, the Alliance of Chin Refugees and Beyond Borders um, in Malaysia, recently highlighted their concerns that the Immigration Department may be planning to deport 135 Myanmar nationals, a group which may include asylum seekers who would be in danger if they were to return to Myanmar. So joining me on the show today is Mahi Ramakrishnan, President and Founder of Beyond on borders to discuss why deporting asylum seekers and refugees is problematic and dangerous, as well as the obligations that Malaysia has towards this group of people. Thank you so much for joining me today, Mahi. Uh, you're most welcome and thanks for having me on the show. It's our pleasure. Now, what sparked this concern um, over the possible deportation of 135 Myanmar nationals? Okay, so the thing is, uh, we saw on the Facebook page of the Myanmar embassy in Malaysia about how they were actually invited by senior Malaysian immigration officials, uh, including one deputy director of Immigration Malaysia on the 2nd of September to discuss about the possible deportation of 135 uh, Myanmar Myanmaris. Mm-hmm. So we were really concerned because, you know, as you already know, last year, you know, there were two uh, non-governmental organizations that actually went to the High Court of Malaysia to get a stay of order against the deportation of 114 individuals. So we have actually seen uh, boat people, the Rohingya boat people, for example, being turned away, not once, not twice, but many times already. So, you know, we of course feel that, you know, this cannot happen essentially at this point in time because of the fear that some of them may also include those from the civil disobedience movement. And that makes it incredibly dangerous for them to be sent back at this point in time. Not to mention that others were also sent back. You know, it just cannot happen because everyone is privy to the to the fact that there's lots of violence and fighting and killings of ordinary civilians uh, in Burma at this point in time from last year. So... Mm-hmm. after the coup especially. So, of course, you know, CSOs, we have this concern. And yesterday, we actually sent uh, a letter. The Alliance of Chin Movement and also Beyond Borders sent an email to the Director General of Malaysia's Immigration requesting for a meeting so that we can actually uh, discuss this with him and raise our concerns with him as well. Mm. And I want to get to um, the, the the people that we're talking about. Um, but but before that, you know, what does it um, for listeners' um, clarification? What does it actually mean to deport someone, and when or why um, would such instances be allowed? You know, the thing is, uh, Malaysia is bound by the non-reformer principle mm-hmm. because it's a customary international law, which means that Malaysia is bound by the non-reformer principle, and that means that you cannot send someone back to a place where they are likely to face persecution, violence, or even murder. Now, everyone is privy to the fact that there has been lots of violence. Many people have died. Many have been imprisoned since um, the coup that actually toppled the Aung San Suu Kyi's government last November. So, and also, it's not just CSOs who have been raising concerns. I have also been reading about uh, the foreign minister, Saifuddin Abdullah, who has raised issues about what's actually happening in Burma at this point in time. So all of this culminates to the fact that it is an extremely dangerous time for anyone, especially activists, to be sent back to Burma. 
And, you know, recounting a personal experience, a colleague of mine was just sentenced, I think two weeks ago, she was sentenced to um, seven years in prison. And when our lawyers met her, finally, after weeks and weeks of her being detained, we finally got our lawyers to actually meet her. And the lawyer said that he was shocked that she was still alive. You know, because of the violence, it's so clear that she was beaten mercilessly. And the lawyer said that she could actually lose vision in one eye. So this is the kind of military leadership that we are talking about. Mm. And this is in Myanmar? Yes, it's in Myanmar. Mm. So then tell me a bit about what the civil disobedience movement is. And I guess the, the very possible scenarios that um, individuals from this movement might face if they were to be sent back to Myanmar. Okay, so the civil disobedience movement or CDM, you know, started following the, the coup last year and it comprises of activists who are actually fighting against, you know, this illegal government, against the military leadership. And that has seen to a lot of violence, you know, tens of thousands of people have been uh, imprisoned and uh, thousands and thousands of people have been have been killed by the military junta. So this is the ground situation, actually. And uh, from last year, we know that many people have actually fled into Malaysia mm -hmm. following the civil disobedience movement. So our concern is that at this point in time, like I said just now, it's incredibly dangerous, it's risky uh, for the government to deport them back to a place where they are likely to face persecution. And it's not just at this point in time. The fact is Malaysia is bound by the non-reformal principle, which means that sending anyone back to a place where they can face uh, imminent danger is a no-no. So some people might say that, well, Malaysia is not party to the UN Refugee Convention, right? But we are still bound by the principle of non-reformant. Yeah, we are bound by the principle of non-reformant because it is a customary international law. And even though, you know, we are not, we have not ratified the 1951 Refugee Convention, the mm -hmm. fact is we have ratified many other conventions like the Child Rights Convention, CEDAW, which is a convention for the elimination of all forms of discrimination against women, CEDAW. And we have also ratified the New York Declaration, which has ratified almost all other uh, conventions in the world. So, you know, the fact is, even though we have not ratified, we have not signed on and we are not a party to the Refugee Convention, it doesn't negate the fact that the government has responsibility. And the other thing I would like to talk about is the fact that, you know, there is the possibility of torture while in immigration detention. I'm not saying this. We have read about this. Suhakam has written... Um, a very comprehensive report about this. Now, torture comes under the use Kogan's norm, mm -hmm. which is non-derogable, which means that even though the Malaysian government has not ratified the Convention Against Torture, it cannot derogate because torture is a use Kogan's norm. So the fact remains that we have raised concerns about all of these issues, not yesterday, not day before yesterday, not today, but over and over so I think what really needs to happen at this point in time is for the immigration to first allow for the UNHCR, um, you know, to have access to immigration uh, detainees so that they can figure out who are the asylum seekers and they can be registered. Now, this has not happened. The UNHCR has not given access, has not been given access, and that, uh, you know, makes our concerns that much more serious. So then, you know, you mentioned UNHCR, Mahi. So in Malaysia, would um, that be the main organisation that would step in to ensure that refugees and asylum seekers are not part of um, the group that might be deported? Definitely, because the UNHCR has 
uh, an international mandate um, to protect refugees. And the fact is they have been trying their best to get their jobs done, to get their job done, sorry. But what we have seen over the last uh, one year, one and a half, two years, is the increasing hostility against the UNHCR. Uh, we have seen the Malaysian government wanted, wanting to do registration exercise by themselves. And uh, I, it makes me wonder as to what kind of capacity they actually have to be able to do this. Mm -hmm. So I would suggest that instead of trying to be at loggerheads with the UNHCR, that the government actually removes all obstacles possible so that the UNHCR can continue to do its work. And one of the main and one of the most important things they need to get done at this point in time is to allow for UNHCR to have access uh, to the immigration detention centers, which they haven't had uh, over the last few years. Mm. All right. We'll go for a quick break now, Mahi. And after the break, you know, I want to ask you more about the protection that asylum seekers and refugees have when, while they are here in Malaysia, which you've touched on a little bit. But um, we'll continue that discussion after a quick break. I'm speaking today to President and Founder of Beyond Borders, Mahi Ramakrishnan, about, the, uh, about their concerns that the Immigration Department might be planning to deport 135 Myanmar nationals, a group which may include asylum seekers. We'll We'll be right back on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su An. On the show with me today is Mahi Ramakrishnan, President and Founder of Beyond Borders, um, one of the two refugee rights organisations alongside the Alliance of Chin Refugees who have recently highlighted their concerns um, over a meeting that the Immigration Department has had with the Myanmar Embassy and potential plans to deport um, 135 Myanmar nationals. And they are concerned that this group may include asylum seekers who would be in significant danger if they were to return to Myanmar um, because of um, their links to the civil disobedience movement. Now, Mahi, you know, with what we've spoken before the break in mind, you know, refugees and asylum seekers don't have significant protection in Malaysia as well. And a similar case where um, Malaysia deported more than a thousand Myanmar nationals, um, which the immigration department said did not include refugees and asylum seekers, but there were, of course, concerns from refugee rights groups. There was also a, a, a judicial review to stay the deportation, um, which did happen anyway. So how would you describe Malaysia's approach when it comes to offering protection for refugees and asylum seekers here in the country and ensuring that they are not um, inadvertently deported to their home country? I mean, recently, a few years ago, we actually built uh, field hospitals in uh, in Bangladesh, mm -hmm. in Qabsis Bazaar. Now, that's commendable. And Malaysia has always been a champion of the Palestinian right, and rightfully so, mm -hmm. you know, on, on an international platform. But what bothers me is the fact that when it comes to the way we treat our own refugees in Malaysia, you know, I do not understand how the government can champion a Palestinian cause and also not looking in, look into the rights of refugees who are already in Malaysia. Now, we must understand, I have seen this, and I've seen ministers talking about this, about how they are really worried that if, for example, refugees here are given the right to work, then that will pull more refugees to come into Malaysia. Now, that's not going to happen because it has never been about a pull factor, but a push factor. Now, if you really look at what's happening in in Burma, like I said just now before the break, we have seen lots and lots of violence and the violence doesn't seem to end at any point in time, given the fact that the military leadership has said that it is going to stay in power for another year mm -hmm. until next year. So we have we have our own concerns because we have seen 
thousands who have been killed and thousands more who have been imprisoned. So this is the situation in Burma. And against this situation, we cannot be sending, you know, any Burmese back to face imminent danger in the country, in their home country. So that's the concern here. And looking at protection mechanisms, how can you even have protection mechanisms when the government is actually so hostile? And they keep saying that they have not ratified the convention, which means they do not have the right to recognize the rights of asylum seekers. And I've already uh, and I've already explained how we have ratified many other conventions. Mm-hmm. And this group of people, especially. They came via the sea. And the international maritime law clearly states that the state has an obligation and a responsibility to protect people who turn up or persons who turn up at our shores, irrespective of their nationality, reasons that they actually come and how they were found. Hmm. What have you seen in terms of the impact of the lack of protection for refugees and asylum seekers here in Malaysia? How has it affected the lives and livelihoods of this group who are living here now? In a very bad way because, you know, they do not have the right to work, education or healthcare. I'm talking about affordable uh, healthcare. Mm -hmm. So gainful employment as well. So we have heard many, many cases where the refugees work and they do precarious work. They are gig, gig workers And at the end of it all, they don't even get paid. Or even if they are paid, they are paid half the amount or a tiny pittance as opposed to what they were actually supposed to be paid. Or, you know, an an amount that both parties, the employer and the refugee, have actually uh, uh, agreed upon. So we see this continuing. So, you know, I'm sure you are privy to the information that many CSOs in Malaysia have been lobbying the Malaysian government for the right to work. Because Mm -hmm. we already have an existing legal framework, the IMM 13 under the Immigration Act, all the Home Minister has to do is to sign on the dotted line so that the refugees can actually work. Now, it is possible to do this because all you have to do is to, you know, we do understand the security concerns. We do understand Malaysian government has other concerns as well. And we do respect that. But securitization cannot be used as an excuse to not allow the refugee their basic rights. We cannot be giving them a pittance. We need to ensure that refugees can work with dignity in the country. So it is actually up to the Home Minister. But, you know, as you already know, the Home Minister is actually very hostile toward refugees as well. And we have made, you know, we have done um, many press statements where, where we have said that we would like to speak to the Home Minister. But, you know, I don't think that he is open to speaking to us. So the fact is, whatever the government is doing is not transparent. If the government is not deporting asylum seekers to Burma, then tell us about it. Allow UNHCR uh, into detention camps so that they can verify your claims. Allow for Suhakam to have access to the immigration detention centers as well. And have conversations with CSOs and NGOs so that we know that you mean what you say. Because now, the fact that everything is being done in a hush-hush manner, without the inclusion of key stakeholders, community leaders, Suhakam, UNHCR, CSOs and NGOs, makes it that much more dubious. Mm. You mentioned securitization, Mahi. To what extent does public opinion influence decisions such as this? Because we have seen sort of uh, a significant way of speaking about refugees which securitizes um, their presence here in Malaysia, right? So what impact does public opinion have on the decisions that authorities make? Okay, so I'm not sure if 
it is the public opinion that is actually influencing government policies or the other way around. Mm-hmm. Because we have seen a lot of demonizing, not just uh, about the migrant workers, but also refugees and stateless people and and asylum seekers. So mm-hmm. the government has also done display of religion on politics and they continue to demonize these people. And I do not know why. It's almost like, you know, the our way of showing that the government only thinks about or champions um, the welfare and the rights of Malaysians. And, you know, it creates a lot of animosity. It creates a lot of tension on the ground. I mean, I, uh, you know, I'm sure you remember what happened at the beginning of the pandemic where we saw this demonizing of the Rohingya and mm-hmm. then it quickly spilled over to include other communities as well. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, it started with the migrant workers being demonized as well. So I, what I do not understand is why the government continues to do this. I mean, if you look at, for example, where the migrant workers are concerned, the Malaysian Employers Federation has already talked about the scarcity of workers and how they are more than happy to actually absorb migrant workers. And we have been advocating for the right to work of refugees for a long, long time now. And it is possible to do. You just have to look at refugees who have been registered with the UNSCR, you know, if security is the issue. But the thing is, it's almost like the government plays up on national security issues as a way of continuing uh, you know, to to fashion conversations about refugees and asylum seekers in a certain way, as as if though it capitalizes them. Because you know, if you really look at the fact that we have an impending elections, and you look at what actually happens on the ground during these time, you know, and every time the government wants to increase support for itself, it champions itself as people as a government that's only concerned about the welfare of Malaysians. But the fact is. You know, Malaysia is made up of a larger society of different groups of people. The the fact is the refugees are here to stay. So instead of uh, creating boogeymen that don't even exist, it's really about time we looked at safe passage for asylum seekers in the country. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's progression. That's being progressive. Yeah, I think the Prime Minister Ismail Sabri Yaakob just has to decide whether he wants to be progressive or he wants to allow his government to continue demonizing uh, refugees and asylum seekers. Mm. When you mention safe passage, do you mean Malaysia as the resettlement country or Malaysia as a transit country? You know, the thing is, even if Malaysia, you know, wants to wants to be the transit country or a resettlement country, the fact is it needs to put um, a legal framework in place so that the rights of the refugees and asylum seekers can be safeguarded. We do not have that. What we actually have is protracted uh, detention of these asylum seekers and mm-hmm. maybe even refugees. We don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't know if anyone in the immigration detention actually have uh, immig- I mean, uh, UNSCR cards because we are not privy. We are we, we are not privy to that, and we, the UNSCR doesn't have access to these uh, detainees. So I think what really needs to be done is we need to look at another way, a legal framework that actually allows them to have that access to safe passage to asylum. Whether or not it's going to be a transit country, whether or not they want to move on, mm-hmm. that's up. That's a decision that the refugees will make. And that decision has to be has to be given to them because they make the ultimate decision as to whether they want to stay or they want to move. Because the fact is, movement or a journey from point A to another country is not linear. They may stop in different countries and they may then proceed or go on with their journey to a place where they feel safe and where they feel that their livelihood and you know the education of their children and also access to healthcare is all taken care of. We need to give them that. What we cannot do 
is keep um, asylum seekers and refugees in detention indefinitely. That's what we are doing. And that's why recently we also had the fire, the, the protests in mm -hmm. one of the immigration detention camps. Mm. What responsibility does or should Malaysia have being a member of ASEAN, you know, coming from this region, but also being a, uh, being a Southeast Asian country on the Human Rights Council, right? What should our responsibilities be having, um, having these identities as part of our international standing? Actually, it's not just shocking, but it's also embarrassing when, you know, when you're part of the United Nations Human Rights Council and then, you know, you don't even look into the human rights or you don't even want to respect the rights of people. People who are already marginalized, mm -hmm. people who have already been victimized. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's mind boggling. And also, I would like to point out the fact that Malaysia has an added responsibility as part of ASEAN because it was Malaysia that brought Myanmar back into the ASEAN fold. So, yes, you know, from the time of the former Prime Minister Najib Razak, who was using the Rohingya issue as a way of uh, scoring brown, brownie points, and also now the government, you know, it condemns what's happening in Burma, and rightfully so. But on the other hand, it wants to deport uh, Myanmaris back to Burma. So none of this actually makes sense to me. It's almost like there is no policy there is no thinking through that the government is making decisions as it goes on. And also, I, I would like to question if, you know, if everyone is on the same page. I mean, the prime minister says something about Burma. Uh, Mr. Saifuddin Abdullah says something about Burma. And then, you know, during meetings with uh, CSOs, the, this, you know, there are also ministers, including Saifuddin, who say that what's happening in Burma is not on. And then you also have the immigration that wants to deport them. So I do not understand if everyone is on the same page. So maybe that needs to be looked into in the first place so that, you know, we know what exactly is our policy when it comes to, you know, Burma, mm -hmm. especially coming from the fact that, you know, we belong to ASEAN. We are, a, we are part of the membership. But, you know, if you ask me, I think that Malaysia can champion the role of actually reprimanding Burma and many things can be done. It needs to call for an arms embargo, for example. It needs to make sure that there is a travel ban for the military junta, the elite, and also others who are close to the military junta. It needs to make sure that bank accounts, for example, out of the country can be frozen. <laughs> the one thing I will not advocate for is, is economic sanctions because it will end up uh, you know, making those who are already poor in Burma, the poor people, even poorer. But other things you know, can be done. And I would really like Malaysia to see, to, I would really like to see Malaysia take that leadership because it can. It is in a position to do so. Hmm. What about immediate actions that um, Beyond Borders is calling for right now, coming back to this um, worry that there are Myanmar nationals, including asylum seekers, who might be deported back, right? What do you want to see from the Immigration Department at this moment? Uh in, together with the Alliance of Chin Refugees, Beyond Borders has actually sent an email mm -hmm. to the Director General of Immigration requesting for a meeting. Now, uh, definitely we will be following up with this office to make sure that, you know, to just to just to put just to make sure that we actually get a chance to speak to the Director General, to raise our concerns and to listen, of course, to what he has got to say so that we can reach a consensus. I think that, you know, dialogues and engaging with uh, the ministers and those in power, key stakeholders in the government is the way to go. Because at the end of the day, you know, we also want to make sure that, um, you know, whatever it is that we do will can actually materialize 
in a positive way for the refugees. And the only way to do it is to get um, you know, the participation of those in power as well. So at this point in time, it's really imminent for us to be given a chance to meet and to speak with the Director General, and if not the Director General, then someone else who can actually make decisions. We do not want to talk to just anyone from the immigration. So our first choice is, of course, the Director General, and if not, you know, his representative who will actually be able to make a decision. Because the thing is, we would like to know who are those who are being deported and whoever they are, the fact remains that they cannot be deported. So we would like to talk about the fact that, you know, Malaysia is privy to what's happening in Burma and to stall the deportation for the time being so that we can have more discussions and to, of course, you know, allow UNHCR for the act for you uh, allow UNHCR access to the immigration detention centers. Hmm. And, you know, I guess looking inwards, right, what do you think we can do better when um, communicating about the plight that refugees and asylum seekers are, are facing here in Malaysia to the Malaysian public? Are there any misconceptions that you'd like to address? Well, I think, you know, um, when people do not know an issue in its entirety, then, you know, there is fear. So, yes, Malaysians may not necessarily know about the unfolding um, global refugee crisis. It may not really know why people are fleeing their homes. It may not necessarily be privy to absolutely everything that's happening in Burma. And a lot of us are also apolitical. We may not even be reading the necessary news so that we can keep ourselves um, educated and so that we are aware of what's actually happening. So what can we do about it? You know, instead of sitting and actually cribbing about this, we can actually do whatever it takes for us to connect two different communities of people, the refugees and the larger Malaysian society. Now, I for I founded the Refugee Festival seven years back and used that as a way of connecting refugees to the larger Malaysian society. And we also have an idea to um, actually look at restructuring the refugee uh, festival so that the artists from different refugee communities can go to different parts of Malaysia, whether it's PPR flats or poor areas or, you know, areas where B40 community lives, uh, lives or, you know, in a more urban area so that they can perform, so that they can have conversations with Malaysians on the ground. And I believe that conversations and engagements are the way to go because if you can connect different people and they can sit down and talk to each other, then we will realize that the people that we are talking to they're just like us, with the same hopes and dreams and ambitions for themselves and their children. And I think that can be uh, a way in which we can actually solve these sticking issues, which I believe are also legitimate because not every Malaysian understands you know, what's actually happening globally when it comes to the refugee crisis. Mm, we do what we can to make sure that you know Malaysians hear directly from these people, right? Exactly. Um, all right. Thank you so much for joining me today, Mahi. Thank you very much for having me on the, on the show. Thank you. I've been speaking to Mahi Ramakrishnan, President and Founder of Beyond Borders, and we have been discussing their concern over the potential plan to deport Myanmar nationals, which may include asylum seekers who would be in danger if they were to return to Myanmar. If you missed any part of today's show or any previous Live and Learn episodes, you can download our podcasts on bfm.my or on the BFM app. I'm Lim Suan, and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.